You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. You want to take your device or Bible? We're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 6. Last week, we looked at what the Bible said to kids, to children. Uh, Today, we're actually going to look at what the Bible says to parents. Um, And uh, I titled today's message, The Gospel for Tired Parents and Discouraged Kids. (laughs) And that may adequately describe you. Uh, If you don't like those adjectives, you can flip-flop that. If you're the discouraged parent and the tired kid, either way, you can can, uh, retitle that yourself. But uh, when Meg was asking for a title, I thought about using like gospel-driven parenting or something. I was like, that's just overused. Let's just, let's just do something that uh, meets, uh, meets us where we're at. Tired parents and discouraged kids. I, I want to use those adjectives because I think it, it, it describes parents. I've been a parent for over 17 years. I have parents. I speak regularly to teenagers and talk to them about what they're going through. And the same with parents. I'm talking regularly with parents of what they're going through and kids. And, and uh, if, there's, uh, if, if there's adjectives that describe the, the scenarios of their lives, along with all the joy and the good things, it's tiredness and it's discouragement. In that tiredness and the discouragement of challenges that come along with parenting of all seasons and of all ages, we often look for advice. Sometimes we seek it out from the people around us, the people who we think have it all together, the people who we think have what we're looking for in this whole parenting journey. Sometimes we reach into our history and just pull out some advice and plop it back into our situation. Um, sometimes advice comes to us uh, without our asking for it, you know, in, in parenting. And so we're just a mixed bag of advice. And we're just trying to navigate through the advice. And sometimes we're really confused with all the advice that we receive because we don't always know the difference between a biblical principle, which is unchanging and timeless, and a practice of how you apply that principle. So some of the advice is really good, but we don't know why it's good. Some of the advice is really bad, and we don't always know why it's bad. It's because sometimes we're... We're uh, bigger on practices than we are principles. And the Bible is the exact opposite. The Bible is heavy on principles. Know these unchanging truths. Know these timeless things about God and about the, the questions of parenting. And then you apply them in lots of different ways, in a variety of different ways. But understand the, 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 the reason why a, a practice works is because it's connected to a principle. And we don't always know the principles because we're so focused on the practices. If I could put it in sort of the, the sort of financial world right now, we don't want to know the principles of financial stewardship. We want to know what in the world to do with Bitcoin. What do we do with it today, right now? And so we're not big on uh, principles. We're bigger on practices. But the Bible gives us principles. And these are unchanging, timeless things. If we know the principles, the easier we can navigate the practices. So today we're going to look at one verse. And we're going to look at some timeless principles of parenting for the tired 
and the discouraged. It's going to be on the screen behind me, and here is the verse. Fathers, and by extension mothers as well, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the verse is very simple. The structure is very simple. Avoid provoking your children to anger. Proactively invest your time in bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the two questions in front of us, pretty clear. What does it mean to provoke? What does it mean to bring them up? How do we avoid provoking? How do we maximize our time with our kids while they live with us to bring them up? Well, this word provoke, let's, let's address this one first. This word provoke means to exasperate. I believe the NIV, some of your translations might even use that word. Don't exasperate your kids. It means to frustrate someone intensely. It doesn't mean don't ever upset your kids. If it was saying that, we might as well just not be parents because to be a voice of authority into your kids' lives means that they're going to uh, be upset at the boundaries that we lovingly lay out for them and the consequences when you cross those boundaries. So they're going to be upset any time that we lay out those boundaries, or, or several times, many times, lots of times. But that's not what's in view here. It means don't treat your kids in such a way that they would be justifiably angry at you. Another verse in Colossians, the Apostle Paul says essentially word for word this exact command, but uses a different word instead of anger. He uses the word discouraged. He says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So now we have an understanding of what we're, we're talking about. It's not just upset. It means angry and discouraged. And discouragement in the New Testament is also connected with losing heart. It means to become hopeless. It means to become despairing. So here's what Paul's saying. It's possible for parents to provoke their kids so they become angry and discouraged and hopeless and despairing. And he is saying, don't do that. Don't provoke your kids in that way. Well, what does that mean? That's really the question in front of us. How do parents provoke their kids so they become this way, angry and discouraged and despairing? One, one way that we could get at that answer is to ask yourself, how has this happened in your own life from your parents? Now, here's the reality. We all come from imperfect parents, okay? I don't know if you know that or not, but your parent was imperfect, and uh, many times in your life, in my life, uh, they provoked you to anger and to this discouragement. And you know, they came from imperfect parents too. And sometimes they were operating off the template that they received as well. And so we've all experienced this. Here's the reality. This, is, this message is not just for those who like have kids and you're kind of in that season of parenting or you're going through a challenge of your life. We all come from imperfect parents and there's anger in this place because you've been provoked to despair. At some point in your life, for some in the room, you're still bearing the marks of something that was said to you by a parent or something that wasn't said to you as a 
parent, and you're still wrestling with some despair and some discouragement in your life. Some of us have healed from that, and some of us haven't. Some of us are still processing that. And, and that's just the, the reality, because we come from imperfect parents. And I know we want to avoid that. Some of us are swinging hard the other way so that we avoid that in our own lives. And some of us see, oh no, I'm repeating some of the stuff that I promised I would avoid and I would never do. And you find yourself doing that. And so, uh, so where's hope in all of that? We're, we're going to talk about where hope is in all of that. But what does it mean to provoke your child to anger? Let me give you the Bible's top three. The Bible has a lot to say about this. But here are probably the top three ways that this happens according to the Bible. The first way is through a domineering spirit. This is probably the most applicable to the context of Ephesians 6. A domineering spirit is like an overbearing or authoritarian way of approaching your kid. This happens really all seasons of a, of a kid's life. You could have a domineering spirit about any number of things. Uh, fathers in the Roman world, when Paul's writing this to the Ephesian church, they had complete authority over their children. They could easily abuse their authority, and it was completely okay in the culture. In that day and time, you could sell your kid as a slave. You could make him work your field in chains. You could take law into your own hands. You could even inflict the death penalty if you wanted to, and that was completely completely okay. It was socially acceptable. That's why he's, it's applicable to, to mothers as well, but he's speaking to fathers because men in that society, uh, it was socially acceptable to abuse your authority, whether it was, you know, towards your kids or to the people that worked for you or to your spouse. It's totally okay. It was totally okay to have unreasonably harsh demands, excessively severe discipline, to abuse your authority, to even humiliate your child Everybody looked at that. It was almost like this was the, the way to be a man. And when the Apostle Paul is speaking to fathers in the household churches in Ephesus, he's saying, stop all of that. It may be socially acceptable in your time, but it's not acceptable with God and in the kingdom of God. Uh, resist the appeal of a domineering spirit. And even though we look at that and we'd say, you know, that's, that's not socially acceptable in this day and age. And praise God that it's not socially acceptable. We still have places in our parenting and in our society, in our culture, where acceptance through performance and achievement is socially acceptable. And it's socially acceptable if it maps onto our idols. See, they had idols in their culture, and that is why it was so socially acceptable. But we have idols in our culture as well. Where having a domineering spirit is socially acceptable. See, everybody would probably say, you know, it is unreasonable to have harsh demands on kids and teenagers. It's wrong. Unless... Unless we're talking about a football scholarship, right? Or like a baseball scholarship, or a music scholarship, or an academic scholarship, or a fine arts scholarship, or whatever it is. Uh, every sphere of activity that is offered up to our kids all comes with some promise. 
And for a lot of, uh, a lot of teenagers, it's signing day. My uh, kids had, they go to Lone Star, and they last week had signing day. Last week had signing day, and, uh, which is phenomenal. It's great. Congratulations to all the kids that got uh, signed on. But when I was in high school, man, I, I we just didn't have signing day. That just wasn't a part of my reality. I don't know if it was yours, but just wasn't. But it is here. It's the reality of a lot of students. And so for a lot of parents and a lot of teenagers and kids, the ends of that justify the means. And for a lot of them, their experience is the means of unreasonably harsh demands. See, here's what we have to understand. We have to understand where we are. We have to sort of exegete the culture. We have to zoom out and just think about it for a second of where we are. We live in an area, not all of us live in Frisco, but this area is sort of defined as Sports City USA. (laughs) Sports, just take that in, okay? That comes at a cost to us to parents. We're living that cost. Many of us, and I'm with you, experience regular exhaustion from the cost of just participating, of just wanting to be a part of of that. But it comes at a high cost. It's Sports City USA, baby. It's not Rest City USA. It's not Protect Your Marriage City USA. It's, uh, you may be on the car driving a lot and taking your kids to a lot of different things and uh, spending a whole lot of money uh, in Sports City USA. And that's, that comes at a high cost. I believe, I believe, I love our city, but I believe we live in one of the most ambitious areas of the country. And I wonder if you feel that as a parent. I wonder if we can just acknowledge that. And we're not just ambitious about sports, mind you. It's everything. Everything. I mean, it's out of control. I, I could, I can't, when I was a teenager, I couldn't imagine a situation where you have endless camps, endless coaching, endless clubs about an endless variety of things. And it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about dance or coding or speech, or debate, or soccer, or football, or softball, or gymnastics, or cheer, or blast ball, or seven on seven, or drama, or on and on and on. I mean, it just goes on and on. I was talking to a student a couple of years ago, and I was inviting them to something, and they said they couldn't come to it. And I said, what are you, what are you doing? And the student said, well, I'm in clown school. And I thought, the clown school actually sounds kind of cool. Um, sounds actually kind of fun. But I thought, man, we're just making stuff up now. We are just coming up with stuff now. What, what's next? I, I don't, after clown school, I don't, I don't know what's coming up next and what we're going to get our kids enrolled in. I, I mean, these are, these are blessings. These are good things. But it can also be out of control. And for our, our teenagers and kids... There's this pressure that's kind of placed on them pretty early. I mean, you got it like this kind of free time, third, fourth grade, around fifth grade, sixth grade. 
they start to hear the voices around them, and sometimes directly from their parents. And it's essentially this voice that says, hurry up. Figure it out. Lock it in. You need to figure out who you're going to be. Because all these options cost a lot of money and a lot of commitment. (laughs) And so we need to know what you are, who you are. So figure it out. Figure it out pretty quick. This is, by the way, a pathway to celebrity, (laughs) which complicates it even more. And so you need to lock it in and lock it in fast. And by the way, these are the best years of your life. Is there any question that teenagers are stressed out and parents are stressed out as well? We are equally stressed out because we're in this pressure cooker, okay? And we just have to acknowledge that with all the blessings, it's a hard place to be. I learned about a condition in Japan a couple of years ago. It's called hikikimori. Has anybody heard of this? Estimates suggest that half a million Japanese youths have become social recluses. Modern-day hermits with acute social withdrawal. The cause of this, can you guess? Social or academic failure from extreme pressure in a shame culture. An honor and shame culture. It comes from a society that pushed too hard, parents who pushed too hard, and they didn't make it. And their dreams were broken and their dreams were shattered. And then parents, I'm told, have swung the exact opposite way and aren't pushing at all. And both are unloving. It's, it's unloving to push too hard. It's, it's unloving to not push at all. And I don't think we're far from hikikimori in our day and age as well. I think we have youth and teenagers and young adults who are struggling with both of those things. And parents trying to navigate, how do I push? How do I not push too hard? And, uh, and we struggle with what to do. I had a middle school student tell me very recently that after a, a basketball game that they were a part of, and they had won the game. There was like celebrating going on in the locker room. One student was just throwing their shoes in the locker and just tears coming down their eyes. And this student had scored eight points, had multiple assists, lots of rebounds, and so the student was like, what's going on? What, what, what are you dealing with? What's, what's the matter? You know what the student said? My dad thinks I'm a disappointment. They'd won the game. They'd done well. But not according to the dad who wants greatness, excellence. They played college or something. And so the trajectory isn't what it needs to be. And so you are a disappointment. Parents, we just have to be careful about this. We have to know our hearts. We have to know what our kids are going through, what they're struggling with. Sinclair Ferguson says, The boasts of one Christmas family letter may become the griefs of later ones. 
We have to be careful. Are we pushing too hard because it pushes us up, because it elevates us, because it makes us look good? And it feels good to look good, right? But are we pushing too hard? Are we pushing our kids because maybe it's our dream or it's something like that? We're living our dreams or our kids. We got to know our hearts about this. Are we withholding any affection based on their performance? Well, if we are, we could be tempted to have a domineering spirit. We can provoke our kids to anger like that. Here's another one. Indifference. This is sort of the opposite of a domineering spirit. It's to be absent. It's to be kind of in the house but uninvolved. Emotionally detached. This shows up when we are lazy. We don't want to press in relationally to connect with their hearts. Maybe we don't want to get down on the carpet and play with them. Because maybe we're tired, frankly, or we're just not interested in how they want to play. But we've got to enjoy them with what they enjoy and take time to connect in that way. I mean, if they're older, you know, it means sometimes enjoying the video game that they are playing. Even if you're not good at Fortnite and you don't know how to pick that thing up and uh, you you spin around in the, the space and then you get killed like I do every single time. But it's enjoying what they enjoy and not being lazy. Sometimes it shows up when we're afraid to apologize where we have failed. Sometimes it shows up when we're afraid to reveal how we've struggled as a teenager. Parents, that's what your teenager needs to hear. What it was like for you as a teenager. And not just all your like victory moments. Your embarrassing teenage moments. And how you struggled and messed up. And the mistakes that you made as a teen. Sometimes it shows up when we treat everyone the same and we don't recognize differences, that not every child in my home is exactly the same and I need to relate to them based on who they are and not just sort of have just, you know, a one-size-fits-all parenting approach that's easy, but it's also not helpful. Sometimes it means slowing down, knowing your kid. And trying to connect with the heart of the kid that you have. You know, for, for so many, I would almost say years, when my kids were really little. And I don't know how many parents can relate to this. Certainly some moms in here, you could relate to this. Sunday mornings, okay, were like the hardest day of the week. Can I get an amen from somebody in here? Okay, at least somebody, you know, they were just hard. And for our, our home, what was so hard about it was we had one, one kid in particular for whom transitions were hard. And when I say transitions, transitioning from one place to another. And it didn't matter if we were transitioning from here to school or here to church or here to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, there was going to be a meltdown. And I didn't like the meltdowns because I... The meltdowns make me uh, not look great as a parent in front of everybody, frankly. And I want everybody to be impressed with me. And so, uh, so here's what we would do to avoid the meltdowns on Sunday morning. Do you know what I would do? Okay, here's what I would do. Um, I would take Saturday mornings, several Saturday mornings in a row, to practice how to come into church on Sunday morning. So instead of just one miserable day over the weekend, we had two. Because now we're, instead of 
playing and enjoying each other and having a good time on Saturday morning and eating pancakes. Instead, we're practicing how to come to church. Now, not all that's bad. I'm not saying like practicing and all that stuff is, is bad if you're doing that. Great. But for me, there was an idol of looking good. And so I'm practicing, okay, here's how we come into church, and here's how we sit down, and here's how we stand up, and let's go over here. This is how you enter into Grace Kids so that we don't have a meltdown and do this domino effect of like, okay, you're melting down. Oh, no, all the kids are melting down. And then, uh, and then we would show up on Sunday, and it's game time. It's game day. We practiced, and it would all go to pot. It, it, it would never work. It didn't work. And so, uh, and then I would be fuming inside. I'm fuming. Now, outwardly, I'm happy, you know, I'm happy Rob. But inside, I'm like upset and angry. And why I'm so angry is because those meltdowns were a threat to my image. And uh, a threat to, I thought, at points, I thought it was like a threat to my authority. And I had to learn to slow down. And I was helped by going to a conference. It's called Empower to Connect. And I, I learned that, that not, the meltdowns weren't just this threat to my authority. It was an opportunity to slow down, to know my kid, to connect with the heart. And one of the tools that I learned at that conference was just to slow down, play, like play a short little game. And so instead of like practicing how to come to church, we, we started to play like Uno before school. And we stop and play a little game of Uno before we went to church on Sundays. Now I recommend Uno to everybody. And uh, no, I'm just joking. See, that's a practice. But um, it started to help. It started to help because I was getting to know my kid and their needs and started to connect at a heart level instead of just making it all about sort of obedience all the time. So anyway, slowing down, recognizing there's differences. Each kid is different. They're going to need to know that from us as parents. Here's another one. The last one is favoritism. This is like the book of Genesis. Number one parental sin is favoritism. Favoritism is when you favor one child over another and you manipulate the relationship out of control. It creates sibling rivalry. Siblings are already tempted to compare and size themselves up to each other. Parents can leverage that can manipulate that. And that's an idol of control. Um, that control is, is uh, that we want control. And so we can leverage that. Romans 2.11 says God does not show favoritism, doesn't show partiality. Ephesians 6.9 says there is no favoritism or partiality with him. Many of us today are still struggling with maybe a sibling situation and some of that was contributed by a parent who unhelpfully showed favoritism, manipulated the situation. And that's an idol. All of these things are idols, whether it's domineering spirit or indifference, uh, idol of laziness, favoritism. All of those things are idols. And Scott Saul says this. He says, the gospel calls parents to identify the idols of our hearts that often lurk behind our harshness our expectations, and the pressure we put on our children to perform as students, athletes, artists, Christians, or representatives of our families. We are to parent as unto the Lord, not to get a redo on life through our kids. Our children are God's inheritance, not our penance. 
They are made in God's image, not for our reputation or glory. We just need to know that and recognize that and ask for God's help and know that we have provoked our kids and we need to resist doing that as we journey on. So avoid that in all the other ways that we could provoke our kids. But proactively bring them up. So what are we to do? We're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now this is really helpful if you look at this. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And we might, we might finish that thought with something like, but exercise better authority over your children instead of bad authority. It's not what he says. We might think, you know, don't provoke your children to anger, but be a better version of your parents. You might think that if you had a great example. Some people have had great examples of parents. Some of you are like, man, I'm really glad that's not what it says. Or you might be tempted to, to, to think, well, you know, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the best parents in the church. So locate who those people are and just do what they do. And many churches do it that way. But that's not what he says. He says, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He makes a beeline to Jesus right here. I mean, that's just wonderful. Fathers and mothers, beeline Jesus, okay? That's exactly where we receive grace. Jesus, whose death and resurrection provides life to all who come to him. And as parents, we should be coming to him all the time. His grace covers all of our parenting failures. He helps us start over and change. I wouldn't be standing here today preaching this if I didn't believe that Jesus helps us start over. And he helps us change. The past does not have to equal the future, regardless of what the past has been, regardless of how you were raised, regardless of how quick we're, we're tempted to go back to the template of what has happened to us in our parenting. We don't have to because the command isn't to do what you have done in the past or what was done to you or around you. It's to go to the Lord, to know him. And to let him influence our parenting. So this word, bring them up, literally means to nourish. Some translations even have to nourish them up. I mean, it actually means to provide food. It's like your kids are hungry, so provide food. So if we've got the negative, don't do this. Feed them, nourish them up. And remember, it's in Christ. Nourish them up in Christ. And then we have in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's pretty simple, but it's profound. Paul says something very similar in chapter 4, verse 29, when he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's wilting. That's the provoking stuff. Don't let that come out of your mouth. But only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words give grace. Our words build up or our words can tear down. So he says, don't tear them down. Build them up. 
That's our command as parents. Don't tear your kids down. Build them up. Well, how do we do that? You build them up by bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the nourishment. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline, pretty simple. It means training up in God's wisdom, but it also has this kind of nuance to that word of correction, boundaries, and even punishment if needed. Uh, This is the same word used in Hebrews 12, where it says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. This is the same idea that we see in Proverbs where we're told the Lord disciplines those he loves. You see how that's connected? Discipline is connected to love. As a father, the son he delights in. An expression of love, an expression of delight is setting loving boundaries and bringing correction to our kids. According to the Bible, no boundaries, no correction. There's no love there. There's no expression of love. So there's boundaries. There's discipline. But it's not just discipline. It's not just no. It's not, parenting is not no, 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 no. Now, when they're really little, it, it feels an awful lot like that. And you're, you're probably maximizing discipline sometimes more than the instruction. But it's not just the no, it's also a yes. And that's what the instruction part is. The instruction is verbal instruction. It's teaching the mind with a view of transforming behavior. So if the discipline part is the don't think that way and don't behave that way, we're not going to do that. The instruction part is yes, do think this way and do behave this way. And it's connected with a lot of whys. Here's why we do it. And so, so we want to sort of capitalize on the instruction part, but always know that we've got to bring the discipline. Now, again, this is customized to each child that we have in the home. Every child's different. So how you bring that correction, how you bring that nourishment, how you bring that instruction is going to be different for each child. And it, it should be. We just had a hard freeze, right? And so now some of us are ready to go plant some flowers. And so let let Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever you buy your flowers be a summary of this verse, okay? We're going to go buy some lantanas. We're going to buy some geraniums and petunias and hydrangeas. And I don't know whatever else you're going to go buy to plant in your garden. But a lantana is not a geranium and, or a petunia. And if you're like me, what you're tempted to do is just do the same thing with all of them. You just put them in the ground. You give equal amount of water to all of them, whatever you schedule. And they're all going to experience the same amount of sunshine. And then I'm surprised, like, when some thrive and some wilt up and, and die under that situation. Right? And so uh, it, Paul, Paul's not saying to do that. We've got to understand that just like... Plants, children are unique, and they're going to need a unique amount of sunshine and soil and water. They're going to need a unique amount, their own unique amount of nourishment, their own unique amount of discipline, their own unique 
amount of instruction. They're going to need all three, just like a plant's going to need water, soil, and sunshine, but not in equal measures. And that's, that requires from us a, an ability and a willingness to study our kids, to know them, and, uh, and assume we're not going to get it right all the time either. Okay, well, that's assumed too. But the key, okay, the key to all of this is in those three words that I shared earlier, in of the Lord. All of our nourishment and discipline and instruction, our temptation is to fall upon how we were raised, right? And that's not all bad. We need to carry some of that through. But again, it needs to be connected to the principle of, is this the way the Lord parents us? Is, is that practice, that good thing, because it's connected to Christ? Okay? Now, there's two ways that you could read this verse. If you've never read anything in Ephesians and you just saw that verse, and that's kind of the go-to instruction on parenting, you could see that word of, and you could translate it only as about the Lord. You know, bring them up in the discipline and an instruction about the Lord. Well, that is in mind here, for sure. But there's something else in mind in this word of, and it's translated by the Lord. Here's what I mean. If it's only about, you could translate it, training and instruction about the Lord through mothers and fathers. But if it's not just about, it's training and instruction by the Lord's power and grace through fathers and mothers— in partnership with the body of Christ. And there's a huge difference between that. Parents are not just teaching them about Christ. That would basically make parenting sort of a superintendent of Christian education. You know? It's not just about Christ. Parents are participants in Christ's work through training and instruction, through his indwelling spirit as an extension of his body. You don't have to know uh, the, the Greek of of to get this from the book of Ephesians. If you look at chapter 4, verse 15, we have it on the screen behind me. It says this, rather speaking the truth in love, notice, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So notice, verse 15 says, Christ is the head. And he goes on, from whom the whole body... Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Christ is the head of the church. He's the source of life. He's the source of power and strength. And he's infusing grace and power into every member in the church with all the varieties of gifts that we all represent when we gather. And he's making it all work together properly. And he's building itself up in his love together. And parents are simply a reflection of that organism all working together as one. The, there's an interdependency that parents should feel with the body of Christ. It's not this isolated task where I'm supposed to distill information and content and behavior modification 
And if they do it well, then I'm a great parent. If they don't, I'm a failure. It's we're working together and joining Christ and participating in what he's doing. This is a, a significant difference. Could you look at that next screen? If you only view it as just teach them about Christ and don't understand it's Christ's work in and through us, then parenting is about Christian education and conforming to outward behavior. I'm responsible to make my children believe in and follow Jesus through teaching them the right things and being a perfect example. Although we probably wouldn't say perfect, we, but we'd feel like that. If my children believe and follow Jesus, I'm a successful parent. If my children don't, I'm a failure. Now that's, that's not what Ephesians 6, 4 is telling us. Because it's not just teach them about Christ. If we can go to that next screen, it's teaching them about and also by Christ. Christ is the head and the source of life in all things. And I'm called as a parent to join him in his love for my kids. And so the starting point is not with just me. I'm not the starting point. God is the starting point. My love is not the standard of my kids. It's his love that's the standard. So the starting point is God's love for my child, not mine. And God loves my child more than I do. I mean, there is something freeing about realizing that I don't need to convince God to love my kid. God loves your kid more than you love your kid on your best day. On your best day, he loves your kid infinitely more than you love your kid. That's the starting point. And God is the perfect father nourishing my child through the spirit-enabled efforts of, hello, imperfect parents, and through the body of Christ. And because God's the starting point, God is with me in every moment as I participate in his pursuit of my child's heart. So here, if I can just pause there. Here's what that means. If my child is walking with the Lord, he gets the glory, not me. I don't get the praise because he's doing the heavy lifting. I'm doing some lifting, but he's doing the heavy lifting. And the person who, gets, who does the heavy lifting gets the glory. He gets the glory. All praise goes to him. And if my child is running from God... If he's running from me, God is the relentless father pursuing my child in ways that I can't. He knows where he is, where she is. And he is with me, helping me wait for them to come home. This is incredibly helpful because if you have a child that's, that's wandering, Wandering away or running away. Listen, 1 Corinthians 1.3 says, He comforts me in my suffering. He is with me right there. He knows what that feels like. And he sees them and he feels compassion for them. Even when I don't. Even if they're a long way off, Luke 15 tells us. And I can rest knowing that this father has the ability that I don't. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. 
He can flex his muscles at any time, nor is his ear too dull to hear. He hears my cries. He hears my prayers if my kid is wandering away. And listen, if you're a, a teenager, if I could just take another moment here, you're a teenager, maybe you're wandering, or maybe you're tempted to look to a future time where you might want to run from God or run from your parents, your crazy parents, who are doing their best to screw you up, okay? Uh, listen, let me just warn you here, all right? You're not going to find what you're looking for. I don't know if that's going to convince you or not, but the thief comes, Jesus says, to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And your parents love you, and they are imperfect, and they have made plenty of mistakes. Like I said, they've they've screwed you up the best they they can, (laughs) but they love you you, and they want what's best for you, and we love you, and we will relentlessly love you no matter what you do, and we are here for you when you want to come home. Our door stays open to you. My appeal is that you wouldn't run. If you're struggling with with something that you want to experiment or experience, let us know now. Tell us now. Don't surprise us later. Let us help you. We know what it's like. We know what you're tempted with. We know what you're struggling with. Your parents were teenagers too. And they love you. Don't run. Number four, God's given me as a parent, the local church, as a gift to help my child and help me in the journey. I I have three teenage sons. And let me just say, I don't know what I would do without you. I honestly don't know how in the world I would parent without the support of the body of Christ. How do I know I'm not exasperating my child if I don't have the body of Christ? I don't know (laughs) because I'm just going to do what I, what was done to me or what's on the template or what I think. I need others around me to help me know how to navigate it. How do I get help for all the decisions I need to make for my kids? How do I get help when I fail as a parent? Or when I feel like a failure as a parent? How do I help my child or my teenager build healthy friendships that point them to Christ? How do my kids grow up with other adults who pour into them? How do I get the support for this suffering that I'm going through as a parent or a teen? All of that is through the body of Christ. Now, if we've been studying Ephesians, this, this shouldn't be surprising, but it, but it is kind of surprising. Ephesians 1 tells us the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That means Christ mysteriously deeply, is infusing his life and grace in the body of Christ uniquely. And he fills all in all. And he is helping all of us in thousands of ways. And one of those ways is including parents know how to navigate this journey. And it's with his life. And so amazing things 
deep things and mysterious things happen when we show up. I mean, if I could just give one piece of parenting advice, it's really not to memorize a hundred Bible verses, although that would be amazing too. That would be really, really good advice if you, if you want to do that. But even bigger than that, it's just show up. Show up to church because there's something deeply mysterious taking place in this room and in that lobby and in Grace Kids and in just what seems like small talk and just casual conversations and stuff like that. But when we gather, he's here deeply and mysteriously. And when we show up, he shows up. And I can't always explain that. So my advice as parents who are tired and worried about showing up late and showing up tired or or all that kind of stuff. I just want to encourage you to just show up late. (laughs) Show up hurting. Show up with questions. Show up tired, but show up. Uh, Students, I would say the same thing. Show up. And things happen when you show up that don't when you don't. So as best you can, and I understand that the best you can is different from somebody else's best that they can. So I'm not setting some rule of, of what that would look like. But as best you can, if you show up, his fullness is going to connect with you mysteriously through somebody in this church. And it's going to meet a need. It's going to speak to a challenge. It's going to speak to a hurt. It's going to speak to a, so a, a regular thing that you're going through. And you're going to find the support and the encouragement and the help that you need. And you're going to walk away from that. And you're going to say, wow, that's really good advice. But the, behind the wow is a Savior who is providing grace to you through that individual. So, and it's His fullness because he, He's filling us. And He is here with us. I want to just close with a quote that Craig shared with me last week. And I thought, man, this is just really great. So it's kind of a long quote, but it's the, it's the last thing I wanted to share. And uh, it's going to be on the screen behind me. It comes from Scott Sauls in his commentary. He says this. He says, parenting is exhausting, glorious, frustrating, and wonderful. Isn't that great? I love that line because that's true. There's so many glorious things, wonderful things, but it's also tiring and frustrating and wonderful. That's why our preoccupation must be with bringing our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Think of that as teaching our children the lyric, the music, and the dance of the gospel. And he goes into each one of these. He says, first, our children need the content of the gospel. It's lyric. In keeping with everything Paul's been saying in Ephesians, This will involve a gospel village. Notice gospel village, okay? Our input as parents, the influence of a good local church, good friends, and other gospel sane adults God brings into their lives. As parents, we can only feed our children what we have in our own heart refrigerators. Do we know what the Bible actually says about Jesus, his person, his work, his will? Do we read the Bible looking for Jesus everywhere? Is engagement in a local church and sitting under the ministry of the word a priority for us? Are we actively fulfilling our role in God's mission by working to see his kingdom grow? He goes on to the music. He says, our kids will hear the music of the gospel as they see God's grace at work in our own lives. 
Is grace vital and sweet to us or just an important theological category? Is Jesus our heart treasure or a religious add-on? Do we love others who don't look like us and act like us? Or is our faith an us versus them expression of religiosity? Is it easy for us to repent in front of our kids? Do they see the gospel at work between us as spouses as we humble ourselves and repent and reconcile? When's the last time our children heard us say to them, I'm so sorry, I missed your heart and dumped my anger and fear on you. Please forgive me. And lastly, he says, our children will learn the dance of the gospel. It's rhythms and lifestyle as they observe our lives. We too are living under the discipline of the Lord, the claims, the beauty, and the love of Jesus. Think of discipline primarily as formation, not punishment. Of course, we must teach our kids obedience and the consequences of rebellion and appropriate punishments as part of this process. But proactively, discipline shapes our values, fuels our joy, and establishes our priorities. The dance of the gospel is a missional lifestyle in which Jesus changes the price tags in our hearts, programs the GPS of our lives, and grants us grace to live to his glory. May our children catch us in the process of becoming freer and more like Jesus. So our words about him are more than empty symbols. That's a lot about the, the lyric and the music of the dance, but it, in the dance, but it really gets to what the Apostle Paul is speaking to us and what God is saying to us about focusing on these principles and then applying them in our unique scenarios. So last week we had a question for, uh, for about children, and this week we just have uh, a couple of questions that I want to encourage you parents to ask your child or to ask your teenager, and it's simple. It's based on Ephesians 6, 4, and it's this. In what ways do I discourage you? Ask that at some point, maybe today or sometime this week. Take time Get alone with one of your, your children or your teen and just ask them and listen. Listen. Don't defend yourself. <laughs> Don't get defensive. Don't take it personal. Or take it personal. Take it however the Lord wants you to take it. But ask, how do I discourage you? You can also ask the opposite of that. How do I nourish you? How do I build you up? How do I encourage you? How do I discourage you? How do I encourage you? And for everyone, how can I be a good friend to parents around me, and a gospel-sane adult to the children and teenagers who need my help. My teenagers need your help. They need gospel-sane adults around them. And I need your help. I need good friends, and you need good friends, and we all need good friends, and we all need gospel-sane adults who help us and uh, encourage us in this process. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.